Up next on Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff sit down with Miguel Diacaza of the Mono Project to discuss Mono, Silverlight Moonlight, and the pros and cons of open sourcing your code from IT Conversations on the Conversations Network. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. I'm Miguel de Caza, and I work, uh, I work on a project called Mono. Uh, it's an open-source implementation of the .NET framework that runs on, uh, that runs on non-Windows platforms. So it runs on, on a Mac, it runs on Linux, um, it runs on interesting devices like the PlayStation or the iPhone. And uh, we're also working on a Silverlight implementation for Linux, so... So that's kind of where my passion is, uh, you know, .NET for other platforms. Cool. Silverlight is like sort of a subset of .NET, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's it's kind of a, yeah, it's a, they, they picked a small, interesting subset of uh, both .NET and WPF, and uh, they made it into a plugin for the web, uh, and they added uh, video and audio. So it's supposed to be basically like a Flash equivalent. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and... Uh, to, to me, it's interesting because uh, I get to write code in C sharp, and you know, I, I just happen to like the language, so mm -hmm. so Silverlight is interesting from that perspective. Um, but also because uh, you know, when we saw that Microsoft did that thing, it's kind of the same subset of WPF. Uh, it's a subset that you can actually learn, as opposed to the WPF, which I find uh, you know <laughs> ginormous. So um, so it's the only part of WPF that the Silverlight guys could figure out, and. Two weeks that, that, or whatever. Right, they exactly. Were given. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like the good subset. It's, uh, you know, instead of being the over-engineered version of it. So I, I really like Silverlight. And, uh, and what we wanted to do since the very beginning was not only use it for the web, but also to build, uh, desktop apps on Linux. So instead of, you know, using the traditional sure. Unix APIs, uh, just use Silverlight and get cross-platform desktop apps. That's kind of where the motivation came from. Uh, mm -hmm. we like the APIs and, you know, we, we figured we could get the developers from the .NET platform to also make their apps available on Linux that way. Right. So, and they're going to look better than all those TK things there. Uh, well, we hope so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, we have some, some nice, very nice-looking applications these days on Linux. But, uh, you know, nothing compares to the amount of designers and programmers that, that uh, you know, that other platforms have today. Well, it's also just so. a matter of if you want to make a cross-platform. I mean, the choices that people have had for making cross-platform GUI applications usually resulted in something being either ugly or look wrong on one platform, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And, and in fact, we're facing that problem right now ourselves because, yeah. you know, we built our own IDE. Uh, you know, it was very, very Linux-centric with our own GTK APIs. And, you know, it looks great on Linux, um, but it looks a little bit out of place on Windows and Mac OS. And the problem is we don't really have the, you know, we don't really have the time or the manpower to rewrite the entire thing into, you know, into native applications for each platform. So I think we're going to have to bite the bullet and just, uh, you know, it's going to look, you know, off in other platforms. But it's, uh, you know, I think it's the best we can do. 
It's kind of interesting because like, I've always noticed that programmers are the first ones to notice when something looks a little bit off like that. Yeah. <laughs> but when you actually show it to regular users, they don't even notice. If you say, doesn't this look weird to you? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's got, that's right. It's like you, you go into the file menu and under exit, it says Alt plus F4. And of course, <laughs> you do that on a Macintosh <laughs> and people think you're crazy. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're not, I mean, we're not that bad, I think, uh, but you're right, no, I think that yeah. the cross plat and I think, I mean, you either go with, uh, you know, with a uniform UI, which is kind of what you get with Flash and what you get with, uh, with, uh, with Silverlight, you know, Air applications, Silverlight applications, they both look, um, you know, none of them feels really at home on, on any of the platforms, so that's one option. The other one is you build native UIs for every platform, which is uh, what Skype did, right? So Skype is native on the Mac, is native on Windows, and native on Linux. Um, but that requires, you know, a lot of investment, and uh, you know, you have to maintain three UIs and three teams of people fixing bugs and different kinds of bugs right. and so on. So yeah, yeah. another I, I, an example I like to use is sort of iTunes, which is n actually not native at all, looking on Windows. It just sort of feels very off. Yeah, that's uh, right. On Windows, but nobody notices. Like, you won't find a single civilian, you know, outside of the programming industry who's going to say that there's anything <laughs> wrong with iTunes. I mean, it's even got, like, a weird activation model. Like, other applications, if they're not in the forefront and you click through the menu, the menu pops up. But yeah. iTunes, when it's not in the front, you you got to click on it once to activate it, and then it, which is like the Macintosh activation model. Oh, I hadn't even noticed that. Yeah. Well, nobody... yeah. Then again, I don't use. Uh, I don't really use iTunes on Windows. Right. I got an iTunes on Windows quirk for you. It drives me crazy. Are you guys familiar with this thing called Fitz Law? It's actually a really important designer yeah. law. Oh yeah. You want to use. You want to reserve the corner for for your mouse targets. Yeah. There's the certain sides. The certain sides of the screen are what they call infinitely large, meaning. Once you get your cursor to like the top of the screen, for example, it, it stops. Mm -hmm. So like if you're trying to hit something at the top of the screen, it's really easy because you have this giant stop and it's infinitely large is what they say. So that's why you want to do so much of your UI at the top and bottom. And to less extent the left and right. But for me with multiple monitors, that's a problem. But iTunes, I just noticed this the other day and I just I was just verifying it now. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny. It's like the anti fits law because on my machine in Vista, like the it's very top one. pixel yeah. does nothing. So yeah. like it's become infinitely <laughs> small. But they don't even have it's they got a weird UI there. They don't even have a title bar like every other app on Windows. But it's funny, like I literally if I move the mouse to the top of the screen and click, nothing happens. Like I right. I'm not actually even clicking iTunes anymore, even though it's maximized visually. So like th this is a perfect example of those little quirks you're talking about where it's totally not a native app. It's called and it's uh, actually yeah. breaking Fitz Law, which is like a big, big deal. And you know, nobody cares, I guess. But I just, yeah. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I mean, I just started my Windows machine, and um, and it doesn't seem like Windows has any use for the top stuff at all. No, they don't use it right anyway. They, they, they've never cared about that, although they did finally fix it on the start menu. Um, for years and years and years, the start in the bottom left-hand corner was also, like, off by missing Fitz Law by one <laughs> pixel. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think they fixed that for Vista. But, yeah, the top becomes a little weird uh, because we don't have a fixed uh, menu bar. You know, you no, have, but it's you the same thing with bar. the Internet Explorer and the scroll bar. I mean, uh, if I hit it on the right, I, I'm not even touching the scroll bar. This is interesting. Huh. <laughs> yeah, All they right. just, they, they, they're not very good. At the, the, whatever Fitz Law is, it's, not, it's, it's more, more obeyed in the breach than in the... What's that expression? Oh. I don't know that one. It's more disobeyed than obeyed. 
Um, but it, it's it's generally used as a it, the, the, what's very good at it is a Macintosh using the top and the bottom of the screen. Right. Um, yeah, right. I yeah, agree. The problem with the window. Macintosh is that it really drives the, the windowing system on the Mac really drives me insane. I mean, they might have gotten uh, the the you know the top and the bottom right, but you know, getting uh, the window management at least in at least in my experiences is just terrible. I can't really navigate in this thing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they added virtual desktops, which I love, and and you know, I've been working with virtual desktop for you know probably twelve years now. Right. And I can live without them, but they have this really obnoxious animation. <laughs> and, you know, if I'm trying, you know, I compile in one window and develop on the other. So if I'm switching constantly, I just get dizzy. The animation uh, is supposed to help you remember where you are, you know. It's supposed to be like a little yeah, subtle cue. I, yeah, I understand the first two times. But, you know, if, if you context switch, you know, some some 30 times per hour, um, you know, you write a little code, you compile it, or you test it in a separate window. I, I just get dizzy. Does... Um, um, Hey Miguel, we got a lot of questions on on on, on Twitter for the uh, oh, all right, uh, all right, for you. That I'm supposed to ask you on this podcast, but the number one seems to be all about running mono on the uh, uh, on the on the uh, what's it called? Touch on the iPhone. iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what happened there was, um, you know, um, we built the one of the cute features about about mono. Well, let me take a step back. Um, you know, when Apple came out with the iPhone. With the SDK, they said, uh, you know, the agreement basically said you can't really run anything um, in a scripting language, and right. uh, you're not allowed to do that. And you're not really, and they enforce that at the kernel level, and they enforce that kind of on the agreement that you signed with them. I think they've relaxed this a little bit, um, but the, the essential idea seems to be that they don't want people to, you know, they don't want people to download like a Ruby interpreter, a Python interpreter. Right. And then basically, uh, folks being able to run, you know, create their own app stores, like a Python app store and a Java right. app store. Basically, the way that they ensure that absolutely everything will go through their app store and their approval process is that they don't even allow you to make any kind of app that has an interpreter or a run, runtime or a bytecode interpreter or anything like that. Exactly. Um, so, um, so you then know, you could the... sort of bypass their whole system and make your own store. So we, you know, we're talking with these guys come, uh, called Unity. They built a gaming engine for building games for, uh, you know, mostly for the web and you know PC and Mac. And uh, you know, they wanted to target the iPhone, and but their entire game engine is powered by Mono. Mm-hmm. So you know, this posed uh, both a you know, like you know, a contractual problem for them, and also it turns out that they disabled the feature in the kernel, so the kernel won't let the Mono JIT run. So what we did is we worked with these guys to actually turn Mono from a JIT. You know, from a JIT engine into a static compiler. Mm-hmm. So what Mono does is now it just generates static code, just you know, like a C compiler would do. So you certainly lose some of the flexibility and you know, and dynamic features of .NET, but uh, it allows you to do, uh, you know, it allows you to target the iPhone. And uh, you know, they started shipping this in uh, in October of last year, and it's been a pretty successful product for them. So um, what happens here? Let me see if I can understand this now. So there's some kind yeah. of C sharp compiler that you get with yeah. Mono. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the back end used to be the same kind of bytecode that the regular Microsoft C sharp compiler would generate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you probably I'm guessing you still do that, but then you yes. have a just in time compiler that takes that bytecode and generates whatever that processor is, ARM instruction codes or whatever it is. Correct. So you're so you're actually not limited to uh, you're actually not limited to C sharp. Uh, you know, as long as you're using a static language, uh, you know, like C sharp or F sharp or mm-hmm. you know Visual Basic or any of those, you'll be fine. 
Okay. Uh, the ones that one run are things like Aaron Python or Aaron Ruby, because those ones require, you know, dynamic code generation. Yeah, the dynamic language runtime, DLR. So that we, we can't support, uh, because of the limit, the, you know, both the agreement, uh, limitation and the kernel limitation. So, um, so yeah, that's exactly what happens. You can, you know, you can use our compiler, um, if, if you want, or you can use, uh, Microsoft's compiler. Yeah. And, um, you can use so, Wasabi. You know, we, uh, wasabi, what is Wasabi? <laughs> it's the uh, it's the Fog Creek <laughs> proprietary VB script language for .NET. Oh, really? Well, uh, <laughs> as long as you don't use the reflection emit, uh, you should be able to run Wasabi on the iPhone. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. So, cool. kind of what? Uh, yeah. Sorry. No. And then, and then the Apple. When you submit something to the Apple Store, they don't need your source code or anything. They just look at your executable application. Yeah, I don't know what they do, but no. what what I know is that Unity has been. Uh, you know, the Unity guys have at least. Uh, some 150 apps uh, now on the App Store. Well, not Unity themselves, but their customers. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what they look at, but at least it, you know, uh, it doesn't generate code dynamically, and it's, you know, and it definitely abides by the rules of the App Store. So mm -hmm. um, now the problem with Unity is that Unity is very focused only on gaming. Right. So uh, in January, we kind of ran a poll online and we asked people what they wanted to see in Mono. So you know, I set up a Google Doc uh, with a, you know, five-second survey. And uh, and it really came out uh, that people really wanted to use the iPhone. Uh, they wanted Mono uh, to target the iPhone. Um, you know, Objective C has kind of very annoying and primitive, you know, memory management uh, solution. Yeah. It's incredibly repetitive. You know, if you declare, you know, if you want to get a handle on a, you know, on a widget on the screen, like a text field, right? You know, you need to repeat the text field on the interface builder. You put it on the header file. Then you put it on the class declaration. Then you synthesize it. Then you or if you even worse, if you have to do anything special, you need to write more code. So you end up repeating the same for every element on the screen. You end up typing the stuff, you know, five times. Right. It uh, really is sort of a last generation. I mean, this is this go this goes this stuff goes all the way back to the next interface builder, <laughs> which might have been the very first graphical user interface programming environment. Yeah, I, I think it, it might have been great in the eighties. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. I mean, uh, you know. Um, I don't remember. Well, let's put it, it this way. It was the inspiration for Visual Basic 1.0. Yeah. So maybe it was great back in the <laughs> <Wow>. day. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, by today's standards, it is a little bit uh, primitive. So this sounds like it would be an enormous amount of work because if, if I write code in C Sharp or in, in VB.net yeah. uh, and Mono, um, I, I'm assuming that it's going to be garbage collected. Is there like a runtime garbage collector that .NET yes. tags on? Wow. Yes. So what we're doing is, you know, some of the work. So what we basically did is, okay, people like the Unity thing, but it's only for games. And and what we wanted to do was to expose the, all of the native Mac uh, APIs uh, to C Sharp. Mm -hmm. So the work really has been focused on a making sure that you know all of the Objective C, uh, you know, APIs and you know their bizarre way of it's kind of a strange language and mapping that to C Sharp. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, how do you do that? And also. Uh, how do you preserve the fact that you don't want people to deal with memory management themselves? Mm -hmm. So it's all completely hidden from you, uh, just like in .NET. So, you know, there's a garbage collector and it will collect all the objects for you. Um, you don't even have to worry about copy, retain, assign, cloning. Uh, you know, <laughs> you don't have to worry about any of that. Uh, we take care of all of that ourselves. So, so yeah, yeah, we're trying to bring the spirit of you know of .NET programming to to C sharp and and again things like uh, your like properties you know once you design something in Interface Builder, you won't ever have to deal with declaring that five times. It, it's all taken care of for you. Cool. So you know, um, 
I don't know if it's going to be used by, you know, hardcore Objective-C programmers, but, but there's a lot of people that, uh, that seem interested in the idea of using, uh, you know, higher level language for building their apps. Sure. I think there are a lot of, um, I hate to say this, but not so good developers that are working in iPhone development. Because <laughs> I, I have some apps. Uh, I mean, there's some little um, there's some little apps you can download to your iPhone that are just mm -hmm. so unbelievably buggy in the most basic ways. I won't yeah. name any names this week, Evernote, but apps <laughs> that just crash, that don't display. Uh, you know, they, you click on things and they crash, or you click on things and they won't display it to you. Or, you know, if you lose your internet connection in the middle of something that shouldn't require an internet connection, they, you know, corrupt some data or show you something wrong or... Yeah, it's, it is it is very cumbersome. You know, I, I never used uh, Cocoa before. You know, mm -hmm. I've, I've read through the obvious, you know, every once in a while you run into an article on Reddit or, you know, yeah. some news site. It's like, oh, interesting. But I never really worked with it until until we started this project. And um, it is, it is you know, it's a, it's arcane. Um, and uh, it's as arcane as the, you know, as the APIs we were using with GNOME before, you know, on the Linux desktop. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you roll out your own object model. There's a lot of boilerplate. I mean, the amounts of boilerplate are insane. Right. Um, and uh, you know, I guess some people get very excited because the syntax looks like small talk, and uh, and I guess they feel a little bit researchy or I don't know what it is. Uh, but you know, you you look at this piece of code and they just make no sense. It's just <laughs> it's it's just ugly and uh, and primitive, and you know, you have to release everything and keep. Keep track of things for yourself. Well, so, I'm told that Objective C 2.0 will have garbage collection. I don't know. Well, so or they do. Does, so that's yeah. what I'm talking about. That's that's the 2.0 stuff with their garbage collection stuff. Oh, okay. And, so, okay. <laughs> well, so, I mean, they're making progress. I mean, Objective C first came out in I think 1986, 87. I'm guessing. Yeah. And so well, it only takes I, them 22 years to come up with another major release. So at this rate. Their language yeah, may I mean, catch up. Wanna, yeah, I don't want to bash Objective-C. I think no. that, you know, if you really like that stuff, you know, uh, go ahead and, uh, and uh, you know, choke on as much Objective-C as you can. Um, but, you know, there's another class of programmers like me that, you know, I, I think that life is too short uh, for be dealing with those things. And, uh, you know, if a framework can do that for you, all the better. I really like that. Now, the framework has to be, since you don't have a runtime there, and there's no such thing as like dynamic link libraries. That basically means you have to bring the whole framework in to every. Oh yes, that's app. right. Right, that's right. Does so, that mean that your minimum app is really small, or is there a linker? Well, there's a linker. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, you know the first few apps that we built right now are like five megabytes for Hello World, right. and that was acceptable. Uh, so <laughs> we've been doing a couple of things. One is the C runtime we have to link, and we made it so that it's you know uh, so that it's also very small. Right now we're around uh, 500k. Mm -hmm. And we're not done with the, you know, with shrinking it down, right? Because right now it contains the full JIT, so we just disabled it. So we actually have to go and, and take out the code. Right. Um, but the other thing is for um, for all the managed code, you know, the equivalent of MS CoreLib and System and System XML, all of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't make any sense if you're just going to use a couple of APIs to bundle the entire uh, the entire thing with you. So what we've done is we basically uh, we basically took a linker that does what you describe. You know, if you're gonna use console write line, we'll pull you know console the write line method and anything that this needs, mm -hmm. uh, which is you know uh, pull system uh, IO stream uh, text writer, um, you know the string class and a couple of others, right? So it, you know a, a sample hello world program probably brings about um, you know some 60, 80 methods. So 
you know, we're, we have a very aggressive goal for, for the team. And I told them, you know, because they're like, well, if we can get it from three megs to one meg is okay. And I said, no, we, we really want to be aggressive with this. Uh, hello world should not be bigger than 300k. So cool. So we're being very, very aggressive with, uh, with this goal. And that's, the link uh, is making tremendous progress. I mean, that's something that I was begging Microsoft to do on the desktop since the beginning of .NET. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I did read, uh, read your stuff and, uh, you know, I agree. Um, it, you know, it's just I, not I guess so it's, hard. It's, a li- <laughs> it's a little bit of a balance thing there, right? Because on one hand, uh, you know, if there's a security bug in one of these things, that means that you can't really fix all the apps by just rolling it out. Um, you know, by rolling out an update, you need to actually fix every app. But on the oh. other hand, when you when you screw up your update, you're not going to break a bunch of random apps either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm with you. I, I mean, in fact, I'm not even with you. I, I'm, I'm sitting happily in the middle mm-hmm. trying to avoid the point. You know, <laughs> I think that you can, I think it can be argued both That's ways. That's going to be the, 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 the subtitle of your, of your, of your biography, Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to argue any, any, any side. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, whatever makes people happy. I think, uh, you know, if you want the linker, we'll give you the linker and, uh, and a bucket of linker to choke on. And, um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, if you, if you want the full framework, we'll give you, you know, terabytes of DLLs, uh, to update. <laughs> cool. So just, just to clarify, so the end point of all this is if, if you want to do iPhone development, but you don't want to touch or learn Objective-C, you could then do it in essentially C-sharp. Is that yes. what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, in fact, and we're also working with, uh, what are these guys called? Uh, what are they called these days? REM objects. Um, I think that they bought the rights for Delphi. Oh really? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they buy the rights. I'm not exactly sure if they bought the rights or not, but um, but you know, uh, Mark Hoffman and so on. So we're working with them uh, because you know they've been supportive of Mono and they have uh, their Pascal compiler that targets Mono and so on. Oh. So um, so you know, if you develop with Delphi, you'll be able to use uh, uh, we're calling it Mono Touch right now, the API which is a binding to the Apple API. So you'll be able to use Delphi to, uh, and, and their Delphi IDE to, uh, Wow, to I, can, I wonder if I can get my version of Othello written in Turbo Pascal in 1983. <laughs> up and I, don't know, I don't even know how, how compatible these things are anymore. I, I really sure. haven't kept up with Delphi. Well, I mean, I, all the parts where I directly poke into particular, assemb- into particular memory addresses in order to write to the screen, those are probably not going to work anymore. Yeah, <laughs> so you, yeah. Remember, that's not if you had the yeah, mono yeah. monitor, the address was C800. And I if you think had it was the, B800, wasn't it? No, C. No, I don't think I think it was B800. No, nah, because C, oh boy, <laughs> you may be right. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. Here's the thing, you know, you and I belong to the kind of people that used to have a pointer and just, you know, we, you painted on the screen and you waited for the vertical retrace to yes. not flicker. Yes, you had to, right? I, the, my Othello program waited for the vertical retrace so oh, it wouldn't beautiful, flicker. Beautiful, beautiful, yes. because the CGA had a bug. <laughs> right. And uh, and now, you know, now you want to put a font on the screen and you have to go through megabytes of junk. <laughs> you know, you go through the font rendering, the hinting engine, the server, right. the pick up the creation, the dump, you know, GPU. I don't know, man. These people, these these new generations, don't know how to write code. Right. So, Miguel, did you want to touch on uh, that announcement that came out recently about the uh, the source agreement with Microsoft? The it's not oh, essentially the, the, we will not sue you sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so, 
so, you know, Microsoft has standardized uh, C-sharp and the CLI a couple of years ago um, and um, through ECMA. And ECMA required at the time that when somebody submits their, um, you know, the standards for ECMA, that they, at least they have an agreement that they would license the technology. So, so the idea is on the reasonable and non-discriminatory terms. And basically what it means is we're not going to put a, you know, a standard stamp of approval uh, unless people can actually implement this thing. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems like nobody actually ever, uh, you know, nobody actually ever tried to approach Microsoft and said, what are the license terms for, for rent? Uh, you know, except a couple of people that were just trying to, you know, to, to get a gotcha moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, nobody seriously really approached Microsoft and said, well, what are actually the terms for this thing? Right. And, uh, and although I, they had talked to the press about this, and although they, they were on record at, at ECMA and a couple of other places that it would be royalty free, they had n- never actually published the terms. So, you know, um, uh, you know, as Mono takes more, uh, market on the desktop space and as Mono is using more applications, there's, you know, there's certain groups of people. I think that there were a group of people concerned that, uh, you know, that Microsoft sees Linux as a, as a big competitor. And uh, depending on mono and, and technologies, uh, you know, created by Microsoft could be detrimental to Linux in the future. So, so you know, I think it was a very valid concern, and uh, and um, you know, it, it was kind of iffy. What is the situation with you know with a virtual machine and language, and without knowing what the, the patent situation is? Mm-hmm. And it didn't help the the fact that you know Microsoft had really never said anything. So you know, this gave uh, you know this was basically. Uh, fueling all kinds of conspiracy theories. So we approached Microsoft and, uh, you know, as part of the ongoing novel Microsoft discussions, and I told them, listen, this is a growing concern in the community. Could we address this thing? And, you know, uh, this was a meeting with Bob Muglia. Bob Muglia says, yeah, of course, it's royalty-free. What else do you need? It's like, uh, we just need, you know, some document somewhere <laughs> yeah. that says that. Yeah. Like, you don't have that? <laughs> uh, no, no, you don't have that. It's like, really? <laughs> okay. So, you know, uh, they, uh, they had the brand golf park, uh, start working on this. And, you know, you need to get, you know, a bunch of people to agree and to, you know, move the paperwork to the company and so on. So basically Microsoft came out and says, yes, you can implement this thing. We're not going to sue you for that. Um, so, you know, that gave, uh, you know, they gave a, they, that gave a lot of people a lot of relief in terms of, uh, of, um, of, uh, of mono in, in the Linux platform. So what does that uh, cover? That, that covers, um, that covers, that covers the CLI, uh, so the virtual machine. Uh, it covers some of the base class libraries, so things like system, system, string, system, web, system, and it, XML. Oh, it, it says that you can re-implement them. It doesn't say that you can use their source code. Correct. This is a, yeah, this is a patent grant. Uh, right. So what this Nothing means to do with is, copyright. Yeah. So if, what this means is if we had an idea that we took to the U.S. Patent Office and we consider this idea to be you know, required to implement this thing, we're not going to sue you. Mm-hmm. If you use the same idea to reimplement this thing, um, but yeah, you can't. You definitely cannot, you know, take their source code and uh, you know use Reflector decompile and and, uh, and use the result. Uh, right. You know, for that you would need to. You know, I'm sure that Maxwell will be happy to talk to you and and selling you a .NET license for that stuff. Uh, so that you can't. And it also covers the C sharp language. Um, now it still doesn't cover, you know, absolutely everything that Mono implements. It doesn't cover ASP.NET, it doesn't cover ADL.NET, it doesn't cover Windows Forms or WPF or Silverlight. Um, oh. so it's just the, the core engine. That uh, stuff is that all still. Which is the stuff that went through ECMA, right? 
Oh, okay. That's, but so, oh. so there's a big hole in here. So technically, ASP.NET, they could theoretically have patents in there. That's correct. And, That's I, and, and, and you know, I think that, you know, uh, you know, Microsoft being a company that has been in the business for, you know, as long as they have been, they probably have patents on, on, on pretty much anything. Um, so. Yeah, well, they probably have a whole bunch of bogus patents on all kinds of crazy things. Yeah, well, they have the is not patent, right? Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Using is not in there. Visual Basic. So there you go. Yeah, if you start there, uh, you, you have problems of, of that nature. Um, but, um, but they're, but they're also not, they're, it is very rare for Microsoft to sue somebody for patent infringement. Yeah, I agree. It's and a part of their strategy that, for something else. Yeah, and I also think that a lot of the concerns that exist in the open source community date back to the time where, where Microsoft didn't really understand what was happening. You know, if you go back to 2001, you know, in the internet bubble, Mm-hmm. You know, the press was really happy uh, telling the story that this was the end of Microsoft, really, that Linux um, Linux was here to stay, and uh, if Microsoft had one or two years left of life, that was that was too much. I don't know if you remember the, the bubble days. Well, and, everybody and the, still right. says that today. I mean, I mean, Jeff Atwood said that on last week's podcast. Yeah, so, you know, it's... Uh, Jeff? You know, if the company wasn't moving or wasn't doing anything interesting, uh, Jeff you know, dropped we're dead. still running... Oh, is he gone? No, I'm I'm here. I just I don't know how much you want to get into that. <laughs> okay, I, could you sleep? Anyways, anyways, I think that Microsoft at the time got the uh, you know uh, people at Microsoft read the same press that everybody else was reading, and, and I think that they had a very uh, you know very vocal anti Linux position for many years. Mm-hmm. But no. you know now you have uh, now you have people like Bob Mowgli and you have uh, people like uh, like Scott Gonthry and uh, Brian Goldfarb and um, you know. Nikhil Kohari, you know, people that came from the web space, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Scott Gunther is the guy that runs now the, the entire .NET world. And, uh, and, oh, yeah, um, we got to meet him at Mix. I had to explain to Joel who the goo was. He's like, oh, the yeah? goo? Who's, who is the goo? I'm like, come on, the goo. You don't know the goo? Yeah, the, the goo is the web guy. So I think he understands, uh, you know, multi-platform, multi, you know, heterogeneous systems. And He's also, yeah. and I don't want to read too much into this, but the people on the developer side at Microsoft were never really, never really had the mandate of making money or protecting a lot of revenue. They just had the mandate of making Windows popular by making great development tools for Windows. And, That's right. Yes. And and they didn't have uh, like they didn't have Office or Windows to protect. Um, whereas like the Office guys, you know, if they suddenly had to lose all the revenue that Microsoft was making from Office, that would be a much harder decision. Whereas everybody on the developer team and the MSDN team and stuff like that has generally usually just had a mandate of spending money. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, I, 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 I need a job like that, dude. I need a job <laughs> like that. I want to have a job like that. <laughs> yeah. So they do, you know, they do what's right instead of, or, or what they feel is right without too much concern about what's necessarily the most strategic thing for Microsoft. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And especially with people like Scott, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Silverlight to me seems like a big bet for them because, you know, to some extent it's undermining WPF, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, you know, they invested a lot of money in WPF and now they've gone and, uh, and said, we're going to put this on the web and we're going to put it on the Mac. And we're also going to work with Novell to make sure that they can have a full, you know, from scratch implementation, right? Know, open source implementation of it. Um, well, that's, you know. but WPF was, I'm trying to think of the clearest way to say this. It, it was a loss anyway. Nobody was developing WPF desktop applications in any yeah, significant numbers that, 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 that really mattered at that point. That was like, that, that was the Windows API war that Microsoft lost. Like yeah, after they lost that war. Yeah, I agree. My, my point was merely mm-hmm. that, uh, that, you know, 
in, in, instead of trying to keep pushing WPF and try to get developers to move to that, you know, uh, server like to a certain extent is, uh, you know, is, is bring a cross platform story. And I think that that takes a lot of, uh, you know, takes a lot of energy to fight internally for a company that was trying to protect the revenue for, uh, for other products. Right, right. And I think that they should get credit for yesterday's announcement that, uh, you know, Office is not going to be free for consumers and, um, uh, you know, Office web. Um, so I, don't actually, I, got a, I got a comment not, on or that. It is going to be. I missed the way I didn't see this announcement. It is going to be free for consumers. Yeah, that's what that's what the impression that I got. Yeah, from the announcement. And they'll show no. ads or something, or. Well, um, well let me I, ask. I, let me ask I, one I part of it. This may this discussion may illuminate. Uh, I thought it was a. Now I like Silverlight. I'm I'm somewhat of a fan of Silverlight. But Joel and I, and I know you're a, actually a huge fan of Silverlight because it is kind of the best cross-platform way to develop sort of GUI type yeah, apps, absolutely. right? I, I think there's no question about that. Among anyone in this in in this podcast, right, right, right. I and, think we and, all agree. Yep, Silverlight is is awesome. But you know what was interesting about the Office stuff, and I think it's very telling. None of the Office stuff was actually implemented in Silverlight. It was all what? pure. That that was what I saw because I, uh, you know, on on Twitter and from Kevin Dente was actually asking about this and, and quizzing people, and and that was the consensus was that it's pure. JavaScript plus HTML. Yeah, that's a bad, that's a bad sense that I get as well because, uh, Nikhil, the guy who wrote, uh, Script Sharp, you know, the C Sharp to JavaScript compiler at Microsoft, right. um, he was pretty happy on, on Twitter, uh, that this was the largest use of Script Sharp, uh, uh, ever done. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you're right. Oh, so I guess my point is that if you think about the larger future of the web, although I love Silverlight, I almost yeah. view it as like a niche technology, even though it's super cool because, the future to me seems like the HTML5 route, you know, mm-hmm. more so than having yet more of these plugins that have to run to do stuff. It's like moving the base platform forward. The base platform being HTML plus JavaScript ends up being and, – and, and this massively complex, you know, office in the browser thing, they actually didn't have to pull the rabbit, the Silverlight rabbit out of the hat to sort of deliver that. Yeah, that I agree. It's just, it's just I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, you know, like, like Joel, I like to put my, uh, you know, my characters on the screen with a poke at B800, column <laughs> Um, so to me, you know, I kind of divide the world, you know, I, I used to say that I divide the world into groups, the, the people that, you know, the put pixel programmers and the printf programmers, right? Yes. So I'm more of a put pixel guy, um, uh, you know, I like, I, you know, I, I like get char as opposed to, you know, form submit. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. So, so I guess those are the two worlds. And, and I guess Silverlight from that perspective feels a lot more natural to me. Um, that's the way I want to develop applications. You can, well, you can definitely make things that are very smooth and very slick inside the rectangle. But I feel like, like, like my feeling is that that goes back to as long as you're inside the rectangle, then you're really just, the, you're, you're using the web almost as like a, you know, to deliver the bits to you. And that's kind of it. And, uh, yeah. um, and, and, and you're very limited to, I mean, you're not, native web. So you're not going to show up in Safari on the iPhone. You're not going to show up uh, in the search engines. Your text isn't going to show up in the search engines appropriately, and you can't even make it do that. Yeah. Well, um, I think that they, they changed, they, they did add features to Silverlight 3 to support those features, right? So you can expose right, but, it, but it comes contortionism, contortionism right? It's like, it's, yeah, you're kind of fighting the paradigm it's, at some level. Although, like I said, I'm a huge fan of Silverlight. I love what they've done. I mean, I'm, but but at some level, it's hard for me to reconcile that with like where I actually see 
the future going? And and I know actually, Miguel, you were a big fan of uh, like the Google Wave demo. Yes, right? yes, I am a big fan true? of Google Wave. Which I was I was sort of a fan of the technology, but the demo itself was like I. I just saw Lotus Notes for some reason. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. <laughs> but I, I just couldn't take it anymore. It's like, oh, my God, Lotus Notes. You know, that's all I could see. And I was like, I had to turn it off immediately. Oh. Uh, but I love that they're oh. doing it on the HTML platform, right? They're saying, hey, let's push the platform forward really aggressively, yeah. right? I love that yes. part of the message, yes, yes, and that yes. part I totally believe in. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just the other thing that kind of, you know, being a put pixel programmer, the, you know, building a, a web application is still a little bit of a hodgepodge. Um, in terms of oh, what totally. you have on the server and what you have on the client, you know, it's a right, but I think that was the differing visions. One vision was like, okay, let's have Silverlight three, which is awesome, and the other vision was Google's vision it was like, okay, let's have this HTML five platform. Oh yeah, no, 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 I agree, I agree, I agree. I'm just talking from my from my personal perspective why I like Silverlight the Silverlight model more, and uh, you know, it might very well end up being that you know the whole world moves to the other one. It's just you know, um, right? I mean, you could end up in basically you're back in WPF world. At some level, it's like you're still in that niche. Yeah. You, you, you're not, yeah. Now, another thing I want to ask you about is I've seen a lot of uh, just articles about mono recently. W- what is your impression of the uptake? Because my the first article where I discovered you, I actually went and looked up this on my blog, uh, was in July 2004. And I think what sold me on you, Miguel, was there was a line, there was some interview you had done with CNET. And your my favorite line was, Unix is a world of pain for developers. Right. (laughs) And I love the honesty. You know, it's like, okay. And and you're out there saying, hey, let's make it better. Right. Let's take this development environment, which is very, very painful, and make it better. And and obviously, the vehicle to do that was mono. And that was five years ago. So now I'm wondering, like, what's the uptake of mono? It seems like it's really starting to get traction at some level. That's why there's all this interest, all this, you know, so yeah, I, I actually, well, you know, people ask me that question. And the problem is that we don't really keep statistics on. Well, who is using mono or where, you know, because of its open source nature, um, that means that, you know, we ship one, one source code, you know, the Ubuntu guys went, get one copy of the source code and then they distribute, you know, millions of copies of it in binary form. Or, you know, the Red Hat people or Fedora people take one copy, um, and they do the same and we do the same. So statistic wise, we, we don't really have any, any way of tracking that stuff. So it's kind of hard. I know that today Ubuntu, um, you know, the most popular Linux distro for desktops, uh, you know, they ship FSpot and uh, they ship Tomboy as uh, two of their core applications. So, so it's used in a bunch of places, but it's hard to tell how many developers are using it or, you know, um, what so about it's certainly the being used as a runtime, but I don't know how many developers use it as a, as an IDE. Uh, it certainly has grown over the years, but it's, you know, I just have no data. What about like on the app side? I mean, I, I, I've seen people go into mono discussions and site, you know, here's these apps I use every day. One, two, three, I don't have them on the top of my head. Yeah. And they're, they're mono based, right? They're, you know, C sharp running on, on, on Linux in some form. Yeah. So, well, again, I guess it depends on the space because, um, you know, the nice thing, you know, I, I really think that the CLR is a fantastic, you know, runtime environment for running stuff and a great place to, to build, in, you know, build new code. And, and I think it has the right mix of, of features for a language in C sharp. And, um, so the only defect, in my opinion, that, that .NET had was is it's basically tied to Windows. And, um, and there's a whole world of interesting devices out there, or other scenarios. Like, um, you know, the Second Life people are using it for scripting everything in Second Life, right? So, you know, it, it's a, it's a project that took many years, but Mono is basically the engine that powers the scripting, uh, in Second Life now. The, um, 
then, you know, there's gaming sites like, uh, you know, Cartoon Network's Fusion Fall, which, you know, it's, it's, it's for kids gaming. It's an MMO for kids. And, uh, so those guys are using, uh, mono, but they're, they're not even using it on Linux. They're using it on, um, they're using it on, um, on Windows machines and Mac computers. So, uh, you know, people buying, uh, you know, games online for the app store, they're using mono, but they're using it for playing, you know, uh, you know, one or two dollar games. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. There are people using, well, I guess I, you know, I'm not supposed to say this unless it's for a partner. <laughs> um, I'm not supposed to say the brand of these games, but there's a major blockbuster game that came in the last couple of months. Um, very large, very popular that you can see on the Novell website. Um, <laughs> that is powered by Mono. Uh, you know, but the agreement prohibits me from saying that in public. All I can say is you can only put it on the website. The... I can, the agreement allows me to say that if you go to Novell slash product slash Mono, I believe. <laughs> you will see you will see the logo of said popular game but I can't say its name so you know I, I think it's it, it's been used in a lot of very interesting places um, beyond what we originally intended it for we, we thought you know Linux desktop and now you know it's used for server for ASP.NET it's used for you know um, hey how about those SimCity programmers well, how do you like their new game uh, yeah yeah I actually like that game uh, <laughs> what's it called yeah. The Sims or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Uh, have you tried it yet? Um, no, you know, I I haven't really because I, you know I would kill my characters. I just know I would, and then I would, <laughs> and then I would feel bad about it. I get very emotional about that. I I cried at High School Musical three. I just I can't play a game where I'm gonna kill my characters. <laughs> Did oh. you really cry at High School Musical three? Well, I don't know. Maybe some dust in my eyes. <laughs> 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 Too much honesty. Too much. <laughs> Uh, but Miguel, are you happy with the state? Like five years on, I mean, you've been doing. When did you start this? This was started in what two thousand? Like eight years ago? No, no, two thousand one, two thousand one. So it's been eight years. Right. I mean, I mean, where do you feel like where you guys are and and where you should be? Like the well, two thousand four version of you. Are uh, you happy with where you are now in terms of where Mono is, the adoption, the status of the project, all that stuff? Yeah, well, I, I think that. I think that it could use having more users, you know, Stack Overflow running on Mono, you know, that would be a really good thing. Um, so, <laughs> we're going to have, we're going to have, uh, I'll do you one better. We're going to have Fogbugs running on Mono. Oh, that is pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. You may Fogbugs, have to help us a little real bit. That's commercial but... product, right? Yeah. 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 So Fogbugs on Mono. So, you know, I, you know, who, who doesn't want their product to be used more? So I certainly would like to see it used more. And um, I was sort of surprised after your company was acquired by Novell, you, you stuck around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, initially Chris Stone uh, really believed in Mono, and I said, Chris, you know, we're five guys working on Mono at the time. Like, Chris, we really need people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and he funded me, and then David Patrick became the manager of the group, and he kept funding us and so on. So, you know, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had pretty good support at Novell uh, for, for continuing to build Mono. That's kind of surprising. I wouldn't have predicted that. Yeah, and the thing, the other thing that I wouldn't have predicted is that Mono was going to get so much interest from the gaming uh, universe mm -hmm. um, because you know i've never actually i i had not played a video game since quake came out you know i played uh, quake for a couple of months i was uh, an addict and then i had to stop and i really haven't played any video games ever since uh until people you know kind of started approaching us about uh using mono for 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 their games and uh you know so there's something interesting about the game the game development community is that they are usually using 
the latest technology because every new game is an opportunity to start from scratch on a whole new platform. So yeah, you go into well, like a, yeah, absolutely. A, a typical commercial software company is still shipping the same software they were shipping 15 years ago and they can't possibly <laughs> afford to rewrite it. So it's in this busted old dialect of VB script with added lambdas and stuff like that. They made up their own programming language so that they uh, can keep... What, who would do that? That's a crazy thing. strategy, Joel. Same, that doesn't make any sense at all. Same old, <laughs> same old version of the code that they've been shipping for nine years and they don't want to have to rewrite it all. Yeah. Uh, well, but the gaming you know, they, studios are constantly starting new projects, you know, from just they, clean slates. Yeah, they do. But you know what I've noticed? I noticed, uh, you know, when when I started getting again into into games, like okay, I'm gonna get one of each console that I can, and you know, I'm gonna really get into gaming. I, I really haven't been able to get into it, I, you know. Um, but I, at least I bought every console, and uh, <laughs> and I noticed that a couple of the of the video games that I was playing on my Nintendo DS. They had the same audio as the as the Wii Fit, so I guess uh, they just have a bunch of artwork and music and you know and things that they just cut and paste across projects. Probably so they, they have they a CD that they buy of public domain music clips. <laughs> yeah, so the music clips is like you know I'm playing my Wii Fit is like this was supposed to be the horror theme song for <laughs> you know some horror game in the DS, <laughs> you know, but I'm working out to uh, to that music. So. Well, that's a sign of a cheap game, actually. Yeah. Well, so the Wii Fit came after that. So I guess they just had a repository of, you know, clip files that they just cut and pasted. Sure. I mean, they have clip art in the music world just as much as in the clip art world. Yeah. So anyways, so I, can I, was, we, I was surprised by that. Can we talk about, so let's talk about the whole open source thing that became somewhat controversial internally. Was like we, we had All right, wait, I'm taking blood pressure medication. All that. Yeah, really. <laughs> I know. This is a subject that Joel is very, very sensitive about. <laughs> Uh, but we, we had actually broached the topic. And, and this is just a research thing, right? This is just me thinking out loud about strategy because Joel is always criticizing me as a CEO. It's like, you have no strategy. You have no idea what you're going to do. Where are you going to be in five years, right? I never said that. Well, you kind of did, okay. actually. <laughs> but one, yeah, of my, okay. one of my five-year strategy things as CEO of Stack Overflow Inc. was like seeing how the code – the Stack Overflow code, like if I had a larger goal, someone said, you know, where do you see yourself in five years or where would you like to be in five years? I would actually like Stack Overflow, the engine, as a discussion and question and answer engine to sort of be out there on a level with like PHPBB. In other words, if you're thinking about having a discussion forum on the Internet, it would be like one of the standard type of engines that you would turn to and actually put your content out on the Internet. Um that was sort of the vision I had. And my thinking was the only way to really make that happen for any software and make it as prevalent as PHPBB is it for some level for it to be open source because it needs to be – you've got to remove all the barriers to, to getting the software on your site. And to me, one of those barriers is in some ways the Microsoft stack, right, because you have to do all this licensing stuff to get it. Mm-hmm. So – if you want to be, and not that we're going to do this, but if, if you wanted to be an open source, you know, .NET centric product, uh, then I think you kind of have to look at the mono stuff. Like right now, let's say we were to right now open source stuff. We're not going to do this. But if we did, how it wouldn't be that useful unless it actually ran on mono. Like one of the first things we would have to do if we wanted to go this route would, would be to say we have to get all our stuff running on mono like day one to even yeah. be a legitimate open source project on the .NET stack. Would you agree or disagree with sort of that statement? Or Yeah, well, so 
So, you know, I think that, that you have, you know, there's a couple of, uh, of topics here. The first one is, I, you know, getting your stuff running on, um, on mono is not as hard as you think. Um, we migrated one of the largest, um, well, we didn't migrate, well, we, we got to run one of the largest ASP.NET sites in the world on mono. And, you know, we had to fix a bunch of issues in mono, but once we were done, uh, they really didn't, uh, make any changes. And part of it had to do because, we didn't really, we were not really working with the developer organization, but with the, with the operations organization. So they didn't really have any feedback to developers. We couldn't get developers to fix bugs or to change things in the code. So I don't think that porting to mono is going to be that complicated. Um, you know, it should really run out of the box. Um, so I don't think that would be a problem. Yeah, now, probably the hardest for, thing would be the database layer. Um, yeah, but even that, you can you can keep the database because we, we you know if you if you want to run if you want to keep running on SQL Server, you can certainly keep a SQL Server instance running and then you know you just use system data the way that you do and you know you keep your database there. Um, but well, that would be a, that would mean that anybody that wanted to buy Stack Overflow and run, run it on their own server would have to license SQL Server, which would sort of make that's it right, kind of that's a. Right. I don't know. Do you use a lot of SQL? The, the, the hardest thing is really supporting the store procedures. Yeah, I don't think we have that. any. Do we, Jeff? Oh. Wait, what's the question? Store procedures. Do we have any store procedures? Oh, no, not really. No, no. I'm kind of anti-store procedures. Yeah, yeah we so, don't buy. Boy. so that's really, that is really the thing that prevents a database migration. Anything else is, you know, um, you know, I'll be happy to sign an NDA with you and get Stack Overflow running on Linux uh, just for your perusal if you ever want to do that. But, uh, but I think that going back to the other thing is, you know, I'm a big fan of open source and I, you know, and, you know, I, I advocate the use of Linux and the use of, you know, of, of the, the entire stack to people because I think that it makes sense for them to, to use the technology that already has been developed and to contribute to that. But, you know, more than once a friend of mine came to me and was like, Oh, this open source stuff sounds awesome. Let's open source my company. And, uh, you know, I've always told my friends, no, 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 listen, if your livelihood <laughs> depends on this, you, you really need to think about this. Why? Because once you make it open source, the revenue is going to dry up. So, um, so you really need to open source things when it makes sense for you. Now, um, you know, I don't know how, uh, what is the, the revenue strategy for Stack Overflow, how it's, how it's, uh, shaping up, but, you know, if it's producing money right now, I don't see, I don't see why you would open source it right away until you had a second, you know, a second strategy or, or, you know, uh, or something else that you could complement the, you know, the, uh, uh, the revenue that that you would lose from uh, from open sourcing this thing, uh, maybe wait a couple of years until the brand is well established, uh, you know, kind of like Amazon. So when you become the Amazon of you know of queries, maybe it doesn't matter if the software is open source. Um, there's definitely going to be people that that reimplement something. I think that what what has happened here is that you've invented a new model for applications. You know, just like Reddit kind of led to a bunch of Reddit clowns. Um, I think that you are onto something big with this idea of collaboration for, for, uh, you know, for questions and answers and, you know, giving people badges and reputations and so on. And, you know, people are going to clone it, but in the meantime, you know, I, I wouldn't lose, I wouldn't give away my advantage, um, until you have, you know, either you're well cemented in the market and you're the clear winner, uh, or you have, uh, or you have found other ways of monetizing, uh, the company. Right. And but, that, that know, was kind of the consensus. I mean, Joel, Joel gave me a lot of crap because I actually opened this <laughs> the discussion topic on meta because I wanted to kind of – this is really a decision about the community. Fundamentally, it's like how do you build community around your product? And I think the open source decision is a big – it's a big one, right, for the community. It's hugely significant. Yeah. So they should have some input in the process. And even that 
community discussion, sort of the top rated response for that basically was saying don't don't do this right now. And I think the most compelling argument for me was that it is totally a one-way switch. Like once you open source, you can't take that back. Like you can't That's right. But you can't undo you know, that decision. And that to me was very compelling. It was like, okay, you know, we're already talking 2 to 3 years out. I mean, minimum, probably at least 2 years out, but just to have the idea that this is irrevocable. Once you do this, it's it's done forever. Uh, really gave me pause. So that's right. And the other thing, you know, the open source is not only about creating a community or creating, you know, a certain a center of gravity. Um, you know, other advantages are thing, you know, like share development or you know, uh, having people contribute to an independent effort and benefit from those uh, external efforts. And in here, I think that you don't have to open source uh, Stack Overflow to get some of those benefits. Um, but for example, you guys might have come up with a really clever way of, you know, doing tags or badges or, you know, a particular library and you can open source that. And I think that you can see that in action today with Google or, or even Facebook where they do not open source their core, you know, their core products, but they do open source things that help that, that they actually use with the product. Like uh, in Facebook's case, they have uh, this, you know, high performance uh, distributed RPC library called Thrift, right? And, um, you know, they open source that and Google open source uh, protocol buffers. You know, they're not going to open source their search engine, but they, they certainly open source some pieces that, that would be useful for third parties. So, you know, in the process of building Stack Overflow, I'm sure that you're going to create something interesting uh, that is not going to be really your differentiating uh, factor or, you know, your core product. And, and I think that that one is, you know, I think that's a fair game. And you say, yeah, you know what? We can open source this chunk of technology and, and just make it free. And actually, and that's, I think about that's we, good enough. We, we have kind of done that because one thing that happened to us that was kind of weird was we had picked this uh, Markdown-based editor that the guy called WMD. It's a terrible, terrible name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had had communication with this guy, John Fraser, who wrote it. And we were talking. He was a super nice guy, and he was helping us. And but we didn't have unobfuscated source to this thing. It's just a JavaScript widget, basically that does client side uh, mm-hmm. preview of of Markdown syntax. Well, then all of a sudden, in the middle of the project, like John Fraser, like literally dropped off the planet. Like I could not find him. I, I didn't know what happened to him. He wouldn't respond to my mails. It's like he basically mm-hmm. stopped existing. We had to go in and just kind of reverse engineer this editor from scratch. Like we had to go in and deobfuscate everything in it. Uh, and that is actually available on, I think, uh, code.google.com. I'll put it in the show notes. So we actually kind of have taken something and sort of made it more open source than it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But because we had I no think choice. that's a good contribution. I think it's a good contribution. And you also keep, uh, you know, when, when, you, when you're a billionaire, when you become a billionaire, uh, Jeff, and, uh, and you're <laughs> flying us around in, in your private jet, I think you can open source Stack Overflow, you know, with no... We actually, an, an important thing to remember is that uh, probably 95% of our intellectual property, I know that's not the right word, but 95% of our, whatever word you want to use, <laughs> intellectual yeah, property. Yeah, the value, yeah, whatever. The yeah. value proposition that we created, 95% of that is the user-generated content, all of which is licensed under Creative Commons. So it's effectively open source. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's and, and, the, and the code that actually operates it is just, you know, but a small manifestation of that. And I guess the main reason we did that is since we got it from the community, we felt like it was, you know, one of the more illegitimate things that has happened on the Internet a few times is where community content suddenly becomes proprietary content and you're having to pay to get to a post that you put up there in the past yeah. contributing to what appeared to be a free list, site. I yeah. got to say. That's wow, very I, I, th- I had no idea. And this is actually, this is actually really nice of you guys because you're right. It's, uh, you know, 
content that used to be public, like you know, the Internet Movie Database. Yes, and, that, that was like, that was our yep. example. There's the, the IMDb, CDDB. Exactly. Um, was a famous example of that, and, and the Experts Exchange, which we see as their competition, all mm -hmm. sort of started oh, you said out the name, open. Joel. Oops. Um, Usually well, say the end. We're like dash. almost at the end of the podcast. Most of the people will have turned <laughs> off by now. Nobody's listening <laughs> at this point. You no, know, guys, I think that you should promote this more because this is really nice of you that the, the content is available under a Creative Commons license. Yeah. Some people have actually taken I, it. And I had no idea. Stuff I that. had no idea. Yeah. No. So, so I guess maybe that's 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 a great piece of advice is to view it as you know what existing pieces can you componentize and sort of get some of the benefits of the community without doing the whole sure. the whole stack. Yeah, and then there are these certain areas, like WND is a classic example, where where we could actually use some contributions from the community to that piece of the source code and getting things back, which would be kind of useful. So the, the yeah. only caveat I would put around that is I, I think my CEO five-year vision is to have as many people as possible actually running my code, Yeah, <laughs> which isn't always compatible with you know some of the other stuff we're doing. And, well, and I realize that I'm just... I don't you know. even I don't even care if they're running. I mean, I I don't mind if they. I I love I'd love them to be running our code. I'd I'd be just as happy if they were um, using our code. In other words, if we ran it on a server and they were using it in some way, um, and so that's the Stack Exchange model where uh, they pay us if they're trying to make money off of it, and um, presumably we'll have all kinds of educational slash yeah, that's charitable. a nice cloud. Uh, so you guys are getting into the cloud business now. Yeah, that's that's Joel's company is going to take that part. Yeah, that's this you know, thing called Stack Exchange, and it's basically like make your own Stack Overflow site and pass for the the hosting and and for the you know support and stuff like that. But we're mm. we're also looking at having sort of an ad subsidized version of that as well, right, Joel? For nonprofits. Yeah, and... that's sort of. I don't want to like pre-announce that, but like later on, the idea would be that. Um, <laughs> well, nonprofits could just have it. I, I don't care. I'll support nonprofits. Yeah. But um, later on, I think instead of paying us to use the Stack Overflow code on our servers. Um, you just let us put ads on it. If, if we can figure out a way to use that ad revenue to pay for the hosting costs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Now, I was just laughing. They said, I don't want to pre-announce, and then you pre-announce. <laughs> well, I, I, I do. I, I want to pre-announce that, actually. Yeah, I I pre know, Tim, Tim O'Reilly used to say, uh, you know, Tim O'Reilly used to say, uh, who of you... He used to ask the audience, who here is using Linux? And, you know, two people would raise their hands. Right. And they say, who uses Amazon and Google? And then everybody would raise their hands. It's like, well, you're all Linux. You're all using Linux. And so, you know, uh, Jeff, I mean, if it makes you feel a little bit warmer, you can always say, uh, you know, people are using Stack Overflow. And you got, you got some brilliant people contributing to Stack Overflow. I'm, I'm amazed by, by, by the caliber of people that are uh, answering questions there. And Miguel you know, himself got, is a long-time Stack Overflow user. How many I points am, do you have? Yeah. And now that you fixed the OpenID logins for Yahoo users? Yes. I can we did improve that substantially. <laughs> cool. Well, the funny thing is, fault. we made this bet on OpenID. I think it's the right bet, and I think we'll be proven correct. But it's funny, during our development time, OpenID got so much easier. Like, all this stuff started happening that sort of streamlined the process. Like, Google coming in was huge. Mm -hmm. um, we're still waiting on Microsoft's OpenID implementation, by the way. I don't know what is the holdup there. <laughs> they have this private beta. But anyway, point being, yeah, OpenID matured like with our site, actually. So a lot of the stuff that we did there was just sort of acknowledging the, the new improvements that the companies were putting back into OpenID. Um, hey, Miguel, you want to pick a question that uh, from Stack Overflow to talk about? Uh, it, do well, you have any good questions you like? Oh, well, right now? Right yeah. now? Let's well, yeah, I'm putting you on the in. spot. I'm sorry, we didn't tell you to prepare this. <laughs> oh, okay. it can be a question you already asked, or we, we could we could make one up for you. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, pick something up. I don't, I don't know. Where do I go now? Uh, there's 54 questions feature. What, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> pick one that you well, want to talk about or search for, uh, search for one that you've uh, been involved in in the past or... Jesus. It can be anything. We can make a conversation out of turtles and logo as we did last week. Well, you week. know, Miguel, you have 3,464 reputations. Jeez, click on your name. There's got to be a bunch is of that questions good or bad? there. I don't know. Is that good? That's pretty good. Your user ID is 16929. So I got one here called Is, is Mono Ready for Prime Time? All right, let's do that one. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. You know, when the Cartoon Network. I don't know if you remember this. But yeah, there's 126 running. upvotes here. So, anyway, let me just read the question. This is 18450. So this is very early on. But it says Has anyone used Mono, the open source.NET implementation, on a large or medium sized project? I'm wondering if it's ready for real world production environments, if it's stable, fast, compatible. Is it really, really compatible enough? And you had a nice response, which I'm sure you have memorized at this point. But. Wow, it is. Uh, I uh, yeah. Uh, I think that I stand by what I said here. Um. <laughs> this is cool. Well, first of all, you 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 have a great answer, which is a lot of people will not have heard of MoMA or the Mono Migration Analyzer. That's yes. right. And, and, and you know, the other day uh, we're looking at the new stats. We had to start from scratch because we have some very stale data, so we threw away uh, all of it. But you know, in the last six months, we got seven thousand people submitting MoMA reports. So it is, it is a really active uh, community of people trying to run uh, their application with, uh, with Mono. So what do and, these reports uh, tell you? They tell you like, you know, a missing APIs that people are calling or classes that's right. that they need. Uh, if you go to gomono.com, uh, go-mono.com slash MoMA reports, mm -hmm. uh, you'll see, uh, you'll see our aggregated reports and, and they tell you, for example, which APIs people are using. So we use that to prioritize, like, for example, uh, people were using performance counters, and we ignored them for a while until, you know, turns out a lot of people were using them. So we implemented performance counters. So oh, cool. instead of being driven uh, by, you know, whatever flashy new API Microsoft came up with this week, um, what we do is we actually look at uh, real-world data and real-world usage of these APIs. And, uh, well, as real-world as people that are interested in running their stuff on Unix. And we basically just prioritize that and, and go through the priority list. And, you know, if there's a hundred people using an API, we'll, we'll just go and implement that. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are things that we also flag as, uh, you know, we flag annotations like, you know, be careful with this thing. Uh, you know, a lot of Windows systems. So when you run the MoMA tool, it will tell you, well, this doesn't really run on, on, on Linux or it works differently on Linux, right? Like a lot of people use Windows management. What is it called? WMI? Windows management? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah to yeah. like, to like, there's all kinds of things in the operating system that you have to yeah, access. Yeah, like, through tell me how many interface. network interfaces there are. Like, well, that's not going to work on Linux, so just, just, just give it up right now. Right, <laughs> just stop. So, so we do that, and um, and you know, it's been fairly successful in getting people uh, moving over. Uh, we are hoping to release this summer. Uh, you know, so far you kind of have to be a Linux guy to port your application because you need to learn, you know, the Unix command shell and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and many years ago, Mainsoft told us, don't do that. Make sure that you integrate with Visual Studio. And I, for years I said, no, nah, no, nah, people, people don't need that. And I think that Mainsoft was right all along. So we, uh, so what we're doing is we're releasing, you know, we're releasing a plugin for Visual Studio. And, uh, and I think that the pipeline is really nice. Uh, you build your stuff with Visual Studio, right in Visual Studio is going to tell you, um, the following things, uh, either don't work on Mono or work differently or don't exist in Unix. Yeah. yeah. Once you fix that, uh, you can deploy it directly to a Linux machine and you can debug it on the Linux machine, uh, for any, you know, potential differences between the operating system. So you get the full Visual Studio debugger. 
debugging remotely a Linux machine. Awesome. And you can also attach to a remote Linux process and debug live processes. Oh, and, very cool. um, yeah. And then the final thing is once you're happy with the result, uh, we'll give you a one click button that will use, uh, you know, one of Novell's uh, products for building you a VMware image. So it will generate a VMware image or a VPC or whatever it is that you want to generate or a USB stick with your application and the operating system ready to run. So you can even boot directly to your app uh, wow. for people doing appliances or deploying to EC2. So, you know, you can choose an EC2 image or you can choose a VMware image and it will, you know, from Visual Studio, you click publish and it goes right to EC2. Seriously? Wow. Yeah. That's yep, how yep, we yep, could yep. probably do fog bugs for uh, EC2 in about 10 minutes that way. Uh, well, that's what we hope. I'll, you know, I'll be happy to get uh, whatever your engineers uh, need to uh, to get started on our beta program, and uh, you know, if they want to do that. Cool. Yeah. So, um, so you know, I I think it's it's getting better, and I should have listened to the professional advice from the main soft guys many years ago. Well, on that, uh, I mean, on that topic, I definitely often hear, you know, there's certain people that are just so glued to their IDE that there could be a brilliant tool that's not in that window. And, they, yeah. and, and they'll still keep asking you to integrate it with Visual Studio. And all they want is it to be a child window in Visual Studio. You know, like, what's their friggin' difference? Half the time, it's just a web app or something. And the whole thing that your tool does is it opens a, win, a, a tool window in Visual Studio that then navigates to a URL. And they still, yeah. and they love it. <laughs> like, like, I can understand back in, a, in the days of DOS, right, where you don't want to have to exit your, your, your IDE yeah, run yep, some yep. other application. But I mean, this is Windows. You just all tab, you know. This, this. <laughs> so I take it this is a request that a common requested feature for fog bugs. Sure. And when we got a oh. lot of positive feedback when we made a little fog bugs in a window, and it's not that hard because all it does is pop up a little window and navigate it to a URL, basically. I think. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, you know, I'm a Unix command line guy, so I, I never understood it, but you know, they were right. Uh, and but know, don't, don't forget like, also is that. Is that they're sitting there in the workflow here where somebody's trying to get their code to run on mono is that they had code that worked on Windows and they have to keep it working on Windows as well yes. as working on mono. So they're really not, you're, you know, if you're trying to imagine, hey, they're, what they're trying to do is port to mono, they're really doing two things at once. They're trying to port to mono and keep it working on Windows. And to keep yes. it working on Windows is going to have to happen in Visual Studio where they're going to hit Alt B to build and make sure that it keeps working. And yeah, it's it's a lesson hard learned. Yeah. I mean, I really wish I had heard these guys before. And um, yeah, but you know, uh, what's done is done. Uh, I think that this is going to open the doors to a lot of people. Um, uh, so far, the feedback has been really good, and I really wish I had done this not this year, but you know, five years ago. But you know, it is what it is, and uh, you know, I'll be happy to give uh, you guys, uh, uh, you know, hooked up with the previous, or or if you guys want to wait for the beta for. For coding, you know, for Stack Overflow or for anything, anything, bug bugs, anything. Cool. Hey, uh, are you still in Boston? Yes, 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 yes. Do you yes. want to come speak at our Stack Overflow Dev Days in Boston? Uh, yeah, that would be a pleasure. Uh, in fact, Joseph awesome. kept, keeps telling me, you need to mail these guys. And I said, yes, I'm going to do it today. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so consider it done. Uh, you know, I'll be. I'll you be know what very, you should demo, Miguel, is the whole uh, the tooling that you were talking about. Yeah, that's that's that, that, there's a bunch of cool stuff like that. Everything like from from MoMA to the Visual Studio integration yeah. to all that kind yeah, of that stuff. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Uh, yeah, okay, I can talk about. Yeah, I think that that's uh, you know I'm a command line guy, but I'll be happy to talk about that. And uh, you know, um, I'll probably bring Joseph, who's more of a Visual Studio guy, awesome. to help me with that piece because I'm you know I'm still you know I still compile with Make. 
to be honest. Um, <laughs> well, that's okay too. Actually, we're gonna. We, I've been telling all the speakers that I'm lining up for this conference that the audience is going to be like hardcore, like real programmers. Oh, then I can take care of it. I'll, yeah. I'll be happy to take care of it, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably be showing monotouch and. Uh, yeah, that would be that'd be pretty awesome. We're gonna yeah, have yeah, it would um, be awesome. Just let me know what I have to do, and uh, I'll be happy to do to, to be on the Stack Overflow days. Terrific! I mean, I'll send you an email. Is it called Stack Overflow days? Stack Overflow Dev days, Dev Dev Developer days, because right, right. we got we got them in ten different cities, uh, and Boston is one of them. Let me see if I can remember yep. all the cities: so Seattle, uh, Seattle, San Francisco, um, Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, Boston, Washington D.C., Toronto, Canada. Cambridge, UK, London, England, and Amsterdam. You forgot Des Moines. Oh. Des Moines, Iowa. And Des Moines, Iowa, but that one, very, very small, invitation only. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hold it in a diner. on Twitter is that the, that the Wichita Falls uh, the, uh, dev day was uh, canceled. What, what's up with that? Well, we had, we had Sarah Palin scheduled to speak, and she quit. Yeah. What can I do? <laughs> so, uh, Miguel, thank you very much for being on. We're totally out of time. Thank you so thank much you for being on. Me. Thank um, you guys. Where can where can people find you if they want to check out your blog and your um first Google match for Miguel de Casa. Let me see Miguel de Casa. D E I C A Z A. Oh, there I am. First Google match. Yeah. Or on my Twitter feed. Uh, because I am I'm, I'm an avid Twitterista. Cool. I love Twittering. Okay. Um, we'll have all the links to all the, the mono stuff in the show notes, uh, as usual, at blog.stackoflow.com. The other thing um, our listeners can find in the show notes is a link to the wiki. Every episode has a wiki page, which is the transcript written down by volunteers around the world uh, of the contents of this podcast for the benefit of the hearing uh, impaired and also people that just want to be able to uh, – read the whole podcast instead of having to listen to it because that's a little bit faster. And um, we have a podcast hotline. We didn't get to any listener questions this week. I hope to get to some of them next week. If you have any questions um, for, for Jeff and I or anything you want us to talk about on a future show, make it really interesting and give us a call on the podcast hotline. The number for that is 646-826-3879 or even better, record an MP3 file and email it or Ogvarvis or an email it to podcast at Stack Overflow. Dot com. That's all we got for you. See you next week. See you next week. Anything else urgent? Anything else important? No, um, Michael wanted you to. to he's, Michael screwed up the bank by changing yeah, the password. Yeah, I'm going to fix that. Times. I'm going to try to fix that today. I just Thanks. haven't gone to it yet. Mucho That's okay. The whole bank UI, it's not really his fault. I mean, it's. The yeah. whole local bank story, you were totally right about that. I mean, it's just every local bank is just a total clusterfuck. Yeah, it's unbelievable how that, how the bad software is at Oh, banks. it's so bad. Right, it's, because in every so programming bad. manual, it always says, now, of course, if you were a bank, you wouldn't do this because this is Yeah, exactly. Secure. And it's like completely opposite reality. <laughs> exactly. You were so right about that. We should that. make a whole yeah. podcast about that. That would be fun. Oh, God, it's painful. Okay, so I would deal with the bank. Thank Nothing you, else urgent? Thank you, sir. Um, nope, 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 nope. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. 
The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.